Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to WebRush, the podcast about the web and formerly known as the, or the artist formerly known as, Real Talk JavaScript. <laughs> and this week, I've got my original co-host, the man who I started all this with, Ward Bell. How you doing, Ward? I'm doing pretty darn well, John. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Very well, I might add. So I'm, I'm in a good mood today. Things are going well for me. How about you? Well, uh, pretty well. Uh, you, you may see me sort of like rubbing. Nobody else can see it. Thank you. I'm rubbing my shoulder because I got the, the flu shot yesterday, the senior flu shot, which is where they pour a gallon of that stuff into your arm. It's like, uh, can I have my arm back? But, uh, um, you know, it's all for a good cause, trying to keep everybody safe. Yeah, we did the flu shot thing with our family, went to the local pharmacy, and we walked in and did that. And I got several kids. So it was an adventure. Uh, getting the flu shot. And of course, when I got mine and they put the flu vaccine, or not vaccine, whatever it is, into your arm, um, it made a very strange noise. (laughs) (laughs) Like a squeezy toy or something? Uh, (laughs) And I looked at the the pharmacist. I'm like, what exactly did you, why was my injection making a noise when nobody else's was? (laughs) And he said, oops, wrong vaccine. Uh, Yeah, so... Uh, maybe that's why I'm in such a good mood. They they put that's something it. else in that's me. It. So your your doctor feel good got to you. <laughs> oh, and today we have a special guest on somebody who I've known for a couple of years now, uh, Diana Rodriguez. How are you doing, Diana? Oh, I'm doing grand. Yourself? I'm only doing great, but you're doing grand, and that sounds even better. Oh, English. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have to say that when I heard you. Um, saying Ward's name, it, it sounds so classy, you know, it's like. Yeah. Which is weird yeah, because he's so not classy. <laughs> I mean, sorry, those, those two words never come together. Thank you, Diana. You are a sweetheart. I embrace you from 3,000 miles away. <laughs> Amen. And, <laughs> and today we're going to talk to Diana about our, our title of our show is IOU, some IOT. And we'll talk about a little Python, a little JavaScript, and why IOT is cool and some really cool stuff that Diana is doing in the community. But first, let's uh, make sure everybody knows a little bit more about Diana and what she does. Diana is a Pythonista, a Python developer advocate at Vonage, a full-time nerd and humorous when serious and serious when humorous. 20 years of nerding between infrastructure, IoT backend, and automation, and a lover of board games. So welcome to the show, and you have to tell us, what's your favorite board game, Diana? With, uh, without any question, D&D, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. That's <laughs> how everybody starts. <laughs> have you been playing that for a long time? Oh, yeah, since 1989. I was seven years old when I was first introduced introduced to my first campaign, which is crazy because it was a family gathering with my cousins. And after that, ah, yeah, 
my, my, my son is to... 11 and he wants to get into DND. And he asked me the other day, can you, can you get me into this? And I said, I'd love to. I said, but I'll be honest with you, son. I've never played it and I've always wanted to. So I think we're going to go down this journey together. Oh, you, you should talk to Sarah Veselov about it. Sarah She's Veselov? someone, yeah. She's someone, I think they had a project with, with her husband to do a, a board game cafe and sadly the pandemic happened, but they they know their business about board games in general. So, Awesome. Yeah. Do you like other kinds of board games that are compl- like, very far away from storytelling ones, but you know, um, in other words, do you like the full range of them or are you into these uh, sort of adventure style, D- Dungeon Dragon style only? Are you oh, um, I love from Monopoly to, <laughs> okay. to Ludo I'm going to tell you about one at the end when we have our uh, uh picks thing called Dixit. I bet you have never heard of it, never. and it's it's a family favorite. I'll share it with you. Although I have to tell you this, we can tell this at the beginning. When I visit John, one of my favorite things to do is go to his his house and play um, Apples to Apples, which is <laughs> a game where you hold a card up to your head, forehead, and and with the kids, and um, and you try and can you know, you try and talk people in and out of things, and it is so much fun. Well, speaking of board, uh, what about IoT, Diana? <laughs> How's that for a segue? <laughs> Ouch! Um, Ow! <laughs> IoT, you know what? It. I started. I started a while ago, but when when I actually took interest with IoT was in twenty fourteen, and I started tinkering around to nothing successful. And then in 2016, a man called Mati Blayer from Argentina, who I consider one of my most beloved and admired mentors, introduced me to a framework called Johnny Five. And he made a tank. And he made a tank and he was controlling it with a Nuxt application, which I thought was mind-blowing. You know, I thought, well, is JavaScript the best way to get into IoT? Probably not, because it has a few limitations, but it was so much fun. So I basically forked his project and started to do my own thing, and I, I did a different version with a drone that... I lost, by the way. <laughs> wait, wait. Did you lose the drone like you flew it into somebody else's house or? <laughs> it fell in the water. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> it sunk. I was, I was trying to record like a good video for a conference. I wanted to get into a conference. I can't even remember which conference. I was in, yeah, 2016. So I wanted to, to get into this conference. I think, was it? I don't think it was connected, but it was it was something like that. I think I can't remember, but I wanted to get into this talk with with this um, with this with this drone, and I flew it over the lake, and then suddenly I don't know what happened. It just stopped flying and it sunk. <laughs> so that that's where my talk went to. I never presented <laughs> that <laughs> drone. <laughs> For those out there who maybe aren't as familiar with with IoT as well, I, I kind of. 
we kind of jumped the gun a little bit into that. It means Internet of Things, but what exactly, what is IoT? And you maybe give some examples like drones and whatnot, but, um, and then what is your passion around it? Like what, what do people really do with it? Um, well, it depends. Uh, with IoT, or namely the Internet of Things, you can get into, into so many things. There's industrial IoT, for example. Um, talk about things like uh, weather stations in remote places. Um, say, for example, you have a stable and you want to count how many horses go through a door at a certain time of the day, you can you can basically work something out with hardware to automate that process. Um, then we have things like smart homes, more on the domotic side, uh, or smart doorbells and things like that. Um, and then little gadgets like the ones I make. Um, anything, anything hardware related nowadays. I guess I would put that in easier. It, it seems or like every example words. of IoT we saw for the first five years of IoT being big was the drone, and it seems like the last couple of years, every IoT example I see is somebody lighting up a light bulb. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I like that you gave some other examples of what some of these could be. But um, you hinted at there's devices and IoT uh, projects you're working on. Uh, what are some of the ones you're building? Oh. This is amazing. So um, I get excited. I even I even had to compose myself because I got jittery. For those who can't see me, um, which is everybody, I which is everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so there's I uh, I'm so excited. I am an ambassador of uh, Rack Wireless. It's it's a, a company that makes amazing hardware. Um, IoT related, obviously, um, and they developed this this tiny board that is called Wispblock, and it's basically like a baseboard, and you can attach different sensors to it, different antennas, different little things, and it's like a modular architecture because you can change those little pieces to fit your project, and that's really new. It was launched not long ago, and it supports. Um, the Arduino IDE and also Circuit Python. So it's C and um, Circuit Python for 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 uh, programming with with um, those those pieces. But I'm 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 doing several projects. This one is very exciting because I'm trying to connect sensors for diabetes monitoring and transmit data over LoRaWAN which is a completely different world. And we can go down the rabbit hole uh, sometime. Um, I'm working on, on, a, on a more friendly stage of, of this monitoring thing. Um, I have type 1 diabetes and I, I have to wear a sensor. So the idea is to make devices that are open source, that people in underserved areas can use with, a cheaper device called um, Freestyle Libre. There are commercial um, um, versions of these devices. I'm trying to make the smallest one so people can attach that to um, their sensors 
these sensors are more affordable than the ones that are commercialized here in the United States. Like the one I'm wearing now transmits over Bluetooth <clears throat> to my phone, but it costs me around three to four hundred dollars every month, and then I have to buy a transmitter every three months, and that's another four hundred and fifty dollars. And if you don't have insurance, then that's that's a big issue. So there's a there's a cheaper version of, of a sensor, but it needs to be tapped with a scanner or with your phone because it uses near-field communication to read your blood glucose data. And that's grand because it solves the problem of not having to stick your finger multiple times a day. But again, how do we make those things accessible to people who don't have the same privileges we have, even in, in the United States, with all the problems that, that we may have with insurance and, and whatnot, we're still in a position of, of so much privilege. So again, what I'm trying to do is make these tools with IoT more accessible, give people in the DIY, the do-it-yourself community, the chance to also um, have access to, to these tools. And then on top of that, there's there's um, an open source dashboard that once you have these devices connected, you can you can grab the data of your uh, blood glucose readings in real time, and I will share the link with y'all um, so you can see mine <laughs> real time. Once you get there, the next stage is an application that has the best of both worlds, namely JavaScript and Python. Um, it's an app that takes data from that open source dashboard where I put all my all my blood glucose data, and then it basically pulls, it reads, it constantly reads from an endpoint. And if my blood sugar levels are above or below established range, it calls me, reads my values, and says, "Hey, Diana, you're high or you're low or whatever." Because funny enough, I never hear alarms from any other devices, even in situations of stress or danger. But it doesn't matter how asleep I am, I will always hear my phone ring. So it calls me if things are troubled. But if I, if I were unable to respond, then it calls my mom and up to five additional emergency contacts. And if none of them pick up, it will send everybody a message with my uh, readings and, and an approximate location. So you've so, got, so this is a, just try to put it in a summary, I guess. Sounds like mm-hmm. you've got an IoT device that you uh, picked up, but you've programmed this such that when it reads your blood sugar levels, uh, if they're at a certain point, which I guess you can customize, it will alert you in a variety of ways with a variety of different people um, and that sounds like that itself is customizable because different people could have different ways they want to be contacted. Like you, you prefer phone, it sounds like, to, to get your attention. Is that, mm-hmm. is that right? That's correct. And did you use Python or JavaScript for this? Both. <laughs> Both? In the same files, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> on, on the device? Uh, are you programming the device with these languages or you're programming the application that receives... Um, data from the the device. Let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. So John, 
One of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, or Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. And we're back. So yeah, Diana, before I was really interrupted, uh, the, the question was, are you using JavaScript and Python on the uh, chip or in an application that is responsible uh, for interpreting the data that came from some service? So in this case, I'm using MicroPython for for the sensors um, and for the application that I'm telling you about, I'm using both. <laughs> I'm using Flask, which is a, a Python micro framework for web. And the cool thing about this is you can configure your backend with Python and then on the front end, it uses a special template engine called Jinja. So you just go straight up with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to enhance that front-end experience. So it's, it's, a, it's a good mishmash of everything <laughs> all together. So, you know, this is fascinating. I mean, going back to the whole context of this IoT thing, because it, it, I have to say, being old, you know, I thought, ah, frivolous, or, you know, who wants an IoT device in their refrigerator and things like that? But as you were describing your use case, I'm reminded about a time uh, in the 90s when I was with a friend at a, a hockey game, and he's a diabetic of type 1, and he crashed right there. And it was so horrifying and uh, to watch, and I, I felt so helpless. And there was nothing, I mean, I, I learned what to do and all, but um, but the it's too late by the time, you know, that time. And there, there wasn't that ability to get this real-time uh, monitoring that could have alerted him before uh, so that he could have taken care of it himself. So, uh, and I think about other kinds of um, medical circumstances where a device like this could be um, life-changing. And uh, it didn't seem, now it doesn't seem so frivolous at all to me. No, I think when you put it in real practical examples like this, it, it makes a ton of sense. But you're right. Like, there's always these jokes in the web about the refrigerator is a common one. Uh, new refrigerators will have uh, IoT devices built into them to tell you in a human voice when the door is open or to send you a yeah. text message when your door is open. Or what's not in your grocery list and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, really? I can look at I, It's cool as a project, but um, I'm really fascinated by... Um, these kind of very meaningful applications. And so... Yeah, and there, there's other uh, stuff too out there. Like I've been seeing it in more and more home appliances. I think some of them could be somewhat useful like uh, when your washer is done. In my house, we do a lot of washing because we have a lot of kids. 
And when the wash is done, if you let it sit too long, it's wet, <laughs> it'll get moldy and smell. So it's kind of nice to know. And I might not be near my washroom because, you know, it's loud, uh, you know, and I could be out and about. So getting alerted to those kind of things are great. But for medical devices, I'm seeing more and more people uh, use production built off the assembly line type, like heart monitoring, diabetes, uh, other things like that. But I'm also hearing more and more in the do-it-yourself arena, DIY here. So what kind of, uh, with diabetes, if you don't mind me asking, I know Scott Hanselman is, is blogged about this quite a bit because I believe he also has it and has done some work in this area. Uh, have you worked with some of the other people like Scott and other folks on the internet to kind of put your heads together on ideas for what to do? Definitely. He's actually the father of <laughs> my ideas in a way. Uh, he's a pioneer and, and, and the person who pretty much started this, this movement. Um, he's given everybody so much support. Um, so I, I picked up a project that was already out there that is quite old and outdated. And it's outdated because in Europe and the, in here in the United States, you know, you can just order a, a, a device from from China or from Europe and, and attach it to your sensor. But in terms of underserved areas or areas where shipments are difficult, how do we make things accessible? So that's basically the the idea behind it. I'm not discovering water, clear water, you know, but... Um, but I'm actually taking something that was already started by this community where Scott is involved as well, heavily involved. And I'm making it more accessible to people who come from the same place where I come from. I'm, I'm originally from Venezuela. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I lived in, in various countries in, in South America and, and there's an amazing community out there. And there are things that sadly people don't have access to. So I'm thinking of, of I'm thinking mostly of, of, of Latin America and, 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 and other places where access to these devices and the commercial side is either too expensive or limited. And, and it, it goes with open source, you know. And what about the hardware side of this? Like we, we talked about several different pieces of um, software that you can use in packages, either with JavaScript or Python, but uh, I often hear from folks as a getting started, one of the struggles is what kind of hardware do I get or use? Where do I find it? So what do you recommend there? Um, access to hardware is, I mean, hardware is not expensive. There, there are many, so many choices, so many projects and, and so many um, get started courses. I would have to say Arduino, for example, changed the way uh, people have access to to these devices to hardware, and then there are clones of of Arduino like boards. Um, there are um, standard devices like uh, like uh, an ESP eight two sixty six or ESP thirty two that are used for for. Um, and where where would you send people to, to find this? Because I find sometimes it's great that we have dozens of options, but sometimes having dozens of options also means paralysis, meaning I, I don't know where to go. Like, where do I start? Oh, right. um, 
SparkFun, Arduino, um, they have websites where you can order things. Amazon, I mean, you can buy boards for $10, three for $10. This equipment is as cheap or as expensive as you want to make it. Raspberry Pis are also... Um, delicious, yeah. You know, delicious, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Bad jokes are abounding here today. So one wasn't <laughs> making jokes, so somebody had to make the bad jokes. <laughs> no, that was, that, that was actually a good one. <laughs> it caught me <laughs> off guard, you know. <laughs> so one thing I find interesting is you're using JavaScript and Python in this case. Like usually when we talk to folks, we, we, for folks out there listening, we had an episode a while ago, uh, well over a year ago, uh, with Suze Hinton, uh, a friend of all of ours who does amazing things with IoT. And she filled us in with some blanks and stuff. But I'm kind of curious I never really thought of until we talked to you today that you could use more than one language with IoT at the same time. So could you kind of elaborate on why you'd want to do that and kind of how that works? Oh, well, not, not, not precisely at the same time. I'm not, like, I'm not using both languages in the same piece of hardware at the same time. But, but because I'm using MicroPython for, for the sensors and then the application I use uses a different framework. Um, it depends on what you want to achieve. You know, if you, if you want to keep it friendly and, and, and simple in a, in a way and just sort of prototype things, it depends on what you want to do with, with your device, with your, with your hardware. So why um, did you make the choice for this particular application to, to blend those two technologies on, on the application? Um, because I love Python and I like JavaScript and having a framework that allows me to do what I love the most on the website of things is grand. And then on the programming hardware side of things, having Python with, with the minimal, uh, bare bones necessary and needed to interact with hardware Python is a language that I know very well. So having those concepts and, and learning a little bit more about how hardware works and combining those two together makes my life easier. You know, if I have to use the Arduino or IDE and start programming from scratch with C, <laughs> then we don't have a problem, but it will make the process slower for me personally that makes sense that makes sense instead of trying to say oh there's the one language to do iot in, and uh it's rather than one could look at it and say you know there are two things to learn well i have two things to learn when you can learn just one thing the iot hardware and just use your favorite language to get it done that's kind of yeah. where you're going exactly thank you there's there's a there's a really cool way to to do more on the robotic side, um, it's called NodeBots. And, and in there, you, you learn to make robots powered by JavaScript. So you can use that experience and that knowledge to manipulate the machines. So it, it's cool because it, it teaches you to do the hello world, the basic hello world, which is blinking a light. You can do sumo bot battles or even things like bullfighting with quadcopters. They actually advertise that. Um, 
Okay, on okay. Website. I'm on their website, Diana. You've been holding out. You can remote control a cat with Nodebots, like a real cat. That I'd pay really good money to see somebody remote control my cats. <laughs> yeah, they actually have. They actually have a video for that. <laughs> it's it's a it's a toy that moves like a laser around, <laughs> so the cat just goes after it. It's amazing. Okay, I'm going to post that. I got the video up. I'm going to post that for everybody in the show notes. That is fantastic. You got to watch that, though, because your children are going to start following the laser around, too, John. That is true. <laughs> controlling your children with. Hey, Ward, let's be honest. It's really you and I who'd be following the yeah, laser. Okay, around. all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's, for me, uh, hardware is intimidating. And. Um, so, so I think that the uh, advice that you're giving, which is, I mean, you know, uh, is that the language doesn't matter nearly as much as getting, getting comfortable with uh, the heart, with that, with whatever it is that you need to get comfortable with. You know what? Like, you know what's been intimidating for me? It's because we all have. This is a great sidebar, by the way, because we all have these different fears or intimidation factors for different things. Everybody's different. Um, I challenge anyone to, who doesn't have some <laughs> insecurity in what they're doing, right? Uh, Ward said it was it's harder for him. For me, it's an API. If I don't know the API, I, I get that immediate, like, how am I going to interact with this? And an example of this is on the NodeBots website, they have a very quick example, which would alleviate my fear, and it just did. For example, you literally just require, uh, this, on this one example, uh, Johnny5, which is a library they use, and then you just say, okay, when the board is ready, there's a function that runs. So it's an event handler. And you call this API to say, light this light up or activate the strobe at this luminosity. Or, uh, and you just, there's an API right there. So for me, the fear is always, wait a minute, you're controlling a diabetes monitoring system. When I'm listening to you say that, like, what scares me is, what kind of API do I have to learn to, to do that? But I often find that once you go to these places, and I'm putting all these in the show notes that Diana's um, rattling off because there's been a ton of them. Um, once you go to these sites, a lot of them give you very quick examples of what you need to type. And it's actually quite easy from what I'm seeing. Is that your impression, Diana? It is. It is friendly. Definitely. Friendly. I, yeah. Maybe I not was intimidated. No, I mean, easy... Easy is, is such a relative word, you know, because Agreed. see, you're you're the you're the pop of Angular, and you can do whatever you want. And and for me, Angular is is hard. Although I can I can work with Angular, and I've done uh, plenty of applications, including a streaming engine for a for a TV on demand company, but. But what I like about this, when you say when you say easy and when we say friendly, is that the information is out there for you to have access to it. And then there's a whole community built around it that will always share things. And I find it quite welcoming. I could mention people like, and maybe perhaps you you may want to have her over um, in, in the show. Her name is Maria Hernandez, she is Venezuelan. She lives in Colombia. She is the wizard of IoT <laughs> and languages. She's she's the, the the head of DevRel 
for Rack Wireless and one of the most successful women I've ever met in my life. She made IoT easier for me. So it's people like that, that that I love to highlight. The community is grand. There are people out there who are willing to share their knowledge and experience. Oh, my goodness. Um, like she did with me. And, and then you see that the learning curve is not so steep. When you have someone walking you all the way, it's like a Sherpa taking you to the top of the Everest instead of someone screaming from the top saying, you can do it. Come this way, I'll throw you a rope, you know. I, I prefer um, to take a helicopter to the top. Uh, if you could. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, no, that's yeah. very um, that's very encouraging. And, you know, it's great that you mentioned her name. I've never heard of her. And that's one of the great things I love about the show is that you start finding these people. We gotta... And I dropped a link into uh, Maria's Twitter um, handle up on Twitter as well. So we could, well, uh, maybe great. We could reach out to her and see if she'd be interested in being a guest on the show. So thank you for that, Diana. Definitely. Like she will school you in ways that will sound both extremely nice, super friendly. It's the kind of person that makes you so interested about it because she's so passionate, you know. And I think I got a lot of that from her. It made things easier to have someone who was so welcoming. Um Another person who I would refer uh, would be uh, Carol Ladino. She spoke at Ionic Conf, and the name of her talk was IoT and JavaScript, a love story. And it was a very interesting talk. She's a 100% maker. She's more in the robotics side. Um, but, but, yeah, having access to information is the first, the first step. Then having a good community uh, surrounding this and then third taking on the challenge and trying to build things yourself and if it doesn't work the first time you do it a second time and you go as many times as needed and then one day <laughs> you realize you're building a robot or flying a drone into a lake like me and it doesn't end like it, it never ends it doesn't stop there I feel that I still have so much to learn I'm doing a master's in electronic engineers right now and it's it's been quite the challenge for me um but i found my passion you know it it combines everything it combines my love for python my newly discovered love for hardware my love for javascript and see that i can combine all those superpowers to make something meaningful happen is the most rewarding thing ever even if it's not perfect i'm not looking for perfection i just want to make things happen. And I know and that you've been, able, you've been able to make a, a, uh, a living doing this. Uh, that's the other thing people say, well, you know, how do I make a living? Oh, you, can, you can totally make a living out of um, IOT, especially on the industrial side. And, and especially now, Oh, there's, there's the helium network for Laura one. You can buy um, hotspot that have miners. And when you set a hotspot, you're, you're mining, um, crypto for the helium it's i think it's hnt i can't remember i don't know very much about crypto if i'm honest with you but you can actually mine uh cryptocurrency as you're providing also access to uh, this network um the helium network it's called the people's network and i'm actually going to get set up with 
with a hotspot as well for the tests I'm running. But but yeah, there are so many alternatives. The, the, the world of IoT is huge and I feel that it's been an obscure place unobserved and undiscovered until now that is accessible to to everyone this is where i think like what what kind of technologies plug into iot really well uh we see python and javascript use them quite a bit uh with with obviously the the hardware side but think about the industries uh other industries i've been involved with that do heavy iot or entertainment so entertainment side think think about uh theme parks for example uh you might imagine there's a lot of uh, ability to interact with who's in the theme parks. A lot of them now give you like a, a watch band or a card that has a chip in it so they know when you're close or whatever. Or they use Bluetooth near field uh, type radio communications to see when you're near to interact with the IoT devices. Another place would be like stores. You walk in the stores and end caps, which are the areas at the end of the aisles, can change or do different things or direct you to what you're looking for based upon your previous shopping experiences and I see more and more of these things out there, but I'm curious about your experience with architecture, meaning, okay, so you build something with IoT, you want to scale this in some way and have other people use it. Are, what are you using to communicate out there? Are you using serverless technology? Are you using backend .NET applications on uh, traditional servers? Are you using cloud architecture? Like, what other things plug into IoT for you, in your experience? Let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. Hey, are you building apps in React, Angular, Node, or some other framework? Well, with NX, you can build your full stack apps in a shared mono repo, integrate with modern tools, and reinforce best practices. You'll get advanced code generation and automatically configured tooling like Cypress, Jest, and Prettier that will simplify your workflow. NX also helps you simplify the relationships between applications and shared libraries to make it easier to share more code and develop more consistently across teams. And the best part is you'll build higher quality apps and spend less time on configuration. So visit nx.dev to get Narwhal's popular open source toolkit for monorepo development today. And we're back. So many things, so many things. I mean, um, I lean towards cloud architectures when it comes to that because obviously I'm I'm far from being a, a renowned specialist um, but in terms of I don't know industrial applications like say for example agriculture um, things like Laura one for networking and data transmission um, rely more on the cloud side I mean, you can plug your entire network and check your data on Power BI um, or use, yeah, Cloud IoT Core or, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say the things that are already built for a reason are good to be used. I don't overcomplicate myself in terms of architecture. I, I, I make a lot of use of um, available infrastructure and tools but there are so many roads you could take (laughs) so many so many it is as easy or as complicated as you make it (laughs) if you were uh, giving advice to somebody to get started now like what kind of a project would you recommend somebody to start on to get into iot and where would you send them 
Oh, I'd go to NodeBots if you're on the JavaScript side of things. NodeBots, okay. Yeah. If you're on the Python side of things and you want to explore something amazing as well, I'd say go to Adafruit. That has, it's Adafruit is like the source and they sponsor CircuitPython. So they not only sell devices, but also have amazing tutorials, even for 3D printing. Um, and they basically guide you through the whole process of learning CircuitPython and, and applying that knowledge into the devices they actually sell. So that's, that would be, th- those would be my, my two first steps for someone who wants to start from scratch. Arduino also has the Arduino education portal. I haven't really tinkered with that uh, as much, but I do use their, their, their devices and, and their IDE. So I would say, yeah, those would be the, the three sources. Okay. And I dropped I links into use. the show notes for everybody to, to be able to check those, those out there. So the, the, the one thing I got this song in my head, uh, I, uh, whose uh, line is, uh, uh, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Uh, so I'm terrified of the security of these things, you know, uh, what's your, and here you are putting this diabetes monitor on you and that makes you really trackable. Are you worried about any of this stuff? Um, or, or where do we go to give ourselves more comfort? Well, there, there are many serious concerns about dangers in the growth of IoT and yeah, definitely in the areas of privacy and security. Um, and there have been more concerns about industry and governmental moves to, ad- to address those. There are international standards and there are different protocols. Um, like is for, your device safe that. somehow against somebody hacking? Or, yeah, or, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like someone's going to kill me. I mean, you could access to the uh, block blood glucose data, but no issue any commands to my pump. And it'd be evil if anyone wanted to hack an insulin pump to give me more insulin than what I need. But there's always the possibility, which is is, is true. There are a series of protocols um, and brokers for the MQTT protocol. Um, And and OutZero has some awesome documentation on on security and privacy for, for internet of things and i recommend you to take a look at that when, when you're th- talking about this one thing i often wonder with security on these and i'd be great for you to clarify for folks is let's say some of this data is tracked uh you know there's your device it's sent across some network and communicates to some other device and maybe it has information like your blood glucose levels or who your name is uh how much of that is actually stored on the devices itself or is it all just transmitted and when it's transmitted, is it secured? I mean, where do I go to find answers to these questions if I'm somebody learning this? Um, most of the time, the data is not stored in devices, not in my case, in my particular case. We're basically just transmitting um, that, that data but definitely there are solutions to to this um cisco has uh an iot security 
solution as well as odd zero. There are plenty of, of companies now that offer security testing and assessment services as well. Actually, Eva talk about that. It's called DevOps, IoT, and security. No secrets. Um, plenty of providers. I go to Odd Zero because uh, not only because I'm I'm an Odd Zero ambassador, but also because of their documentation and resources. They're 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 out there for people to to read through. The documentation is very thorough, so you can understand. What are the ways that the advice ways to provide security to your IoT devices, especially against identity spoofing and stuff like that? I have to say, Auth Zero is really good at keeping the 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 noise to signal ratio in the right way. They it's not a lot of marketing speak, which is what I'm used to when I go to many security sites. Auth Zero lays it out there. They got great documentation if you want to learn about security, even if you're not interested in Auth Zero services. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, that's good to know. And we dropped a lot of those links into there. And I think what Ward's really worried about is if those of you out there aren't familiar, Ward has a Tesla. And I think he's just really worried that somebody out there uh, like me is going to find a way to hack into his Tesla while he's driving. Because really, a Tesla is just a very uh, expensive IoT device. It's a very big IoT device. Very big. <laughs> I want That's to, a good gonna, one. <laughs> let's, let's hack into Ward's Tesla and have it bring him to uh, work one day. Ward, you're late. Oh, Get in the car. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a legit concern. Um, <laughs> seriously, I don't have a Tesla, so I don't have that worry. But but yeah, it is it is legit. I suppose they know why you're doing quotes. <laughs> Yeah, that's Tesla's business model requires them to gather as as do many of the things on on the net these days. They live. I'm the product, right? I'm partly the product. They're looking for information about me. In their case, I think they're using it to make the product better. We hope. Uh, but this, um, I I kind of feel like I've given up on being able to keep my privacy. Like like is anything really truly private anymore? I mean, uh, and what are they going to do with it? I. This is the, but this is the slippery slope. This is what worries me is that we surrender to this, the slippery slope. We think, ah, hey, you know, I'm a normal, good citizen. What could they possibly be interested in me? And then we find out later, oh, yeah, I didn't really like that. So, but that's a completely different um, podcast. That well, I think if we really wanted to stir this whole pot, I think the, the most common one that we hear about is the Amazon Alexa, um, Apple, Siri, and Microsoft Cortana and Google Home. I'm trying to name all the popular IoT devices where basically they do the voice command. And I'm sure if you Google the web, if you haven't heard it already, folks, there's an example, I think, from every one of these now where somebody was sitting in their house and said something and something happened because one of these devices did something. Um, I remember one from a couple of Christmases ago, I believe, and a family was having a conversation and part of their conversation was recorded uh, on the thing and then made a phone call to one of their friends and replayed part of it. So these things can't that. Yeah. And I'm, I'd be worried like if, uh, you know, in our insur- crazy insurance world here, you know, they, they, why should they know whether you have diabetes or not until you're ready to hear, it? uh, tell them, right. Uh, or why should they know whether you had COVID or not, uh, in order to make their insurance judgments? I, I, I uh, you know, so I, I, 
there's a lot to worry about here, but that's a different podcast, I guess. Uh, uh, and we got strayed from whether you're, there were special considerations for you, Diana, when, in the things that you built. I was going to say that um, you just made me think of the results of a survey that was run by OutZero that I quote all the time in any of my talks where it said that 90% of developers in the IoT industry didn't believe their devices or applications had enough security in place. So it raises a completely different question in general for, for the IoT and development world on how much of the DevOps culture are we implementing and, and practicing making sure that every part you know, this chain is actually doing their job and benefiting from, from, from the rest of the, of the other links in this chain. And, and how are we making it difficult for things to go to production that are actually worthy, you know? Like, I think this comes from, from us first more than than the trends of a market or the demands or whims of a pm who doesn't have much idea of what development cycles and security should be like how do we make that happen how do we change that and i know i open a completely different can of worms but 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 yeah i just want to leave that there <laughs> well security is an important topic and i'm glad you you raised these concerns because uh it's something we i don't think we i don't think you can ever think about it enough uh, you know, doing something about it, you have to weigh your risk, pros and cons for what you're doing with it. And as Ward mentioned, there's benefits to having some of your data exposed if you're willing to do that to get the benefits. But you also have to be very, as a consumer, I think it's very good for you to be uh, have a critical eye to anything that's gathering data of yours before you go use these devices. And as a developer, I think it's really important to be in responsible to think about, as you mentioned, Diana, the whole chain has to be secure, not just the code, but the transmission of the code and the device itself and every piece along the way. And here's an analogy that was told to me recently uh, by a friend of mine, is to think about security this way. When you've got something, in this case, IoT, think of it like a water pipeline from the water reservoir to the city streets and the sewers, up through the pipes in your house, out to the faucet, and into your glass. If any part of those has got some kind of bacteria in it, whether it's the reservoir at the source or somebody has a dirty pipe in the middle or your faucet has got it, and, or the glass that you pick up wasn't clean, if any of those things, it could be a source for an infection in the water. It's the same thing with hacking into a system. You can't just secure one piece because... If any of those is compromised, you've got a problem. Um, Diana, I really want to thank you for coming on today and talking to us about this topic. We, we strayed through Python and JavaScript and a good two dozen or so links of uh, content you put out there. I also dropped in some videos from some of the conferences you mentioned and some of the folks that you talked about uh, on the show. So I think people have got a real good uh, idea of where to go to look for more information. But we like to end our show with a final thought for our listeners. And this could be a thought on topic, or it could just be a fun thing or interesting thing that you've all done recently. And since Ward was ready to go from the get-go today, I'm going to ask you, Ward, what is your final thought for our audience? Well, I have three quick ones. 
One's inspired by this. I went and looked it up, and you can buy a Faraday cage that you can wear. A, a what? Uh, a Faraday cage is a way of blocking uh, electromagnetic transmission through the air. So you can put this jumpsuit on. <laughs> I put an Amazon link in here. And for a mere 150 bucks, I can walk around and nobody can read me. Uh, <laughs> so oh it's not exactly gosh. my colors, <laughs> not my colors, but hey, you know, there you go. For the truly paranoid, this is for Christmas. Um, so, uh, paranoia aside, uh, that my second one is that I saw, uh, a, a wonderful documentary called my octopus teacher on Netflix and, uh, which is this guy who, uh, lived with an octopus, uh, dove with and lived with an octopus in a little, you know, where the octopus lives for every day for two years. And it's uh, it's a beautiful, um, beautiful documentary, highly recommended uh, and kid friendly. I mean, um, it's just marvelous. Um, and the final uh, recommendation is for Diana. Uh, specifically, we talked about board games earlier. And this is a game called Dixit, which I highly recommend. Um, the premise of this game, this game comes with beautiful, eerie playing cards, drawings, color. They're, they're colorful. They're imaginative. And the principle of the game is that some, you know, person who's playing tells a story uh, and for which that card seems to be an illustration. And then everybody else tries to play a card that would match that story. And so you, you get points if you you know, uh, don't guess the story or that somebody guesses your, uh, your card. Um, uh, so it's one of those highly social, uh, games that, a, you know, you be any age and play and it gets, uh, it, it tickles your artistic mind. Are you telling me that you play Dixit, the game while watching my octopus and In sitting inside your EM suit? Absolutely. That's the only way to roll. Uh, in 2020. I <laughs> um, and Diana, what is your final thought for our audience today? Well, after so, uh, so much death, you know, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't be word to, to any of this, you know, I just wanted to quote my favorite line from a good song from Queen. It's called Good Company. And Brian May says, take care of those you call your own and keep good company. And check the links. There is a link to the project I mentioned today. If you want to contribute, you know, because of Oktoberfest, because you feel like um, there's room for everyone from translations to documentation to UX, UI, to Python, to more ideas, to suggesting something. It's a tech for good project if you want to make a difference. You can. We all have the power and the knowledge to use tech for good. Cheers. And on that note, uh, I'm going to just turn my final thought into one quick tip for everybody. And that's when you're working from home remotely, sometimes we tend to get disconnected from other people. And what I've been finding very helpful is to just call up a friend with whatever your favorite calling up device is these days, video or audio or just chatting. And just working out coding problems together with people. Uh, I find it's just really therapeutic for me to code with other people. And it doesn't have to be something urgent. It doesn't even have to be something that I can't solve on my own. 
uh, but just sometimes to spend a half an hour a day coding with somebody else uh, or doing whatever technology uh, that you enjoy doing, maybe building an IoT device or hashing out ideas. Uh, I just find it really mentally puts me in a good place. So I recommend that to, uh, as a way, an idea for outreach to other people of like minds. Reminds me that we're overdue, John, you and I. We are. We are. We have not done that in a while, Mr. Ward Bell, although I will not do it now unless I see you in that EM suit next time we do a video call. Uh, and if we get it, I promise that we will take pictures and share it on the show's webpage, which again, I want to thank everybody for coming and listening to the show and for all of our guests on the show and for our sponsors of the show as well, Ray Gunn and Narwhal and AG Grid. Thank you so much for bringing the show to everybody. And for all of you out there, thanks for listening to us. And you'll hear from us every week, every Thursday morning. See you next time.